Good morning. I think I just I just moved this right, Pete. If you don't know the story behind that song, it is well with my soul. I would highly encourage you to to read the story. It is actually a pretty moving story. If you would, please open your Bibles to the 119th Psalm. It is the longest chapter in all the Bible with all, I believe, with all 176 verses. If I want to get out of here in one piece, I will not say let's stand as we read the chapter. But we are going to preach the whole chapter, so I hope you're comfortable all day here. So, But uh, Lord willing, um, I haven't talked with Dick or Martin yet, but Lord willing, um, in September, um, we can pick back up in Ephesians. So, so the Psalm 119, we're looking at. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll dig in. Father, I pray this morning that your people here at Faith Bible, that it is well with their soul. Because, Lord, our sin has been nailed to the cross, and we bear it no more. May we praise you for that simple truth the remainder of our days. And now, Father, I just ask that you would accompany the preaching of your word, that your spirit would open our eyes to the truth of your word, that it would open our hearts to receive your word, that you would come and comfort those with your message today that need to be comforted. You would encourage those that need to be encouraged. You would convict those that need to be convicted, that your word would have its way with us, Lord, and that it would be seated deep within our hearts as we probe the depths of it. So, Father, may you be glorified in all that is said and done. We thank you, Father, that we are able to come and worship you in song, that we could come and worship you in our giving. And now I pray, Father, that we would worship you in the preaching of your word, for your glory, amen. So I'm not going to do the whole psalm, but what I'd like to concentrate on in this psalm is Psalm 119. I want to look at 8 through 16 is what we're going to look at, 8 through 16. But before we do this, I want to talk about pursuing, pursuing, if husbands are here with their wives and our wives with our husbands there was a time that we pursued each other right we went after each other we we sought each other out and this is i i i believe the 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 psalmist in this 119 is really really motivating us to pursue god in his word this word pursue, it means, just a simple dictionary verse, it means to follow someone or something in order to catch them. 
to follow someone or something in order to catch them, to go after, to run after, to follow, or to chase. Does that definition describe you and I's relationship with Jesus? Is this your motivation when you rise in the morning? Is it to pursue Jesus? Is it to follow him? Is it to try to catch him? Is it to go after him, to run after him, and to chase him down? Is that your heart's desire? That's what I want to find in this psalm that we look at, this section of Psalm 119, that I believe the psalmist gives us the motivations to pursue Jesus and essentially to pursue holiness. Is that something that we are after, is to pursue holiness? Let's read the psalm, starting in verse 9. We see, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Wow, what a prayer that we can be praying. What a prayer. So let's pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. First of all, I want to look at just one thing. There's a question that is asked. The psalmist asks a question right off the bat in in this thing. Here's the question. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can you and I, as God's children, walk the walk that we've been called to walk in a pure way, in a holy way? This is what he's asking. When sin starts to encroach on us, how can we defend against that sin that we will live a holy life for God? Now this this word way, it means road or path, way of life or a manner of conduct. So it encircles every aspect of our lives. The word pure means moral purity as a superior quality. This is what believers are called to do. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, he says, walk according to what you've been called. Walk according to what you've been called. Now, an unbeliever can't do this. An unbeliever cannot walk in holiness. It becomes legalism, right? And Christians, we have to be careful that we don't fall into that legalistic point. And our walk becomes legalistic and not glorifying to God. We have to be careful of that. But when the unbeliever walks in, 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 in a pure way, it's because they're based on their own moral compass. That's why we always see people comparing themselves to somebody worse than they are. Right? We always get that. Well, I'm not as bad as you fill in the blank. But we can put that in there. They have their own moral compass. And so when we look at an unbeliever, we have to come to the fact that of what Paul says, and Paul says in Romans, Romans 3, he says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. We have to hold on to what the Bible says. 
No one seeks after God. Nobody gets up in the morning and all of a sudden looks in the mirror and says, hey, look, I think it'd be great to have a relationship with a holy, righteous God. No one seeks after him. It is the hound of heaven that seeks out us. That is where it is. It's there. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. This is the state of the unbeliever. But the believer is different. The believer has been redeemed. The believer has been reconciled to God. We've been forgiven. This is what the psalm is talking about. It's this encouragement to the believer. So how do we pursue holiness? Well, first of all, we have to understand one thing. We are already perfectly holy in God's eyes. Because of the work that Christ has done on the cross, we are already perfectly holy in his eyes. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have this double imputation where our sin was given to Christ and Christ's righteousness was given to us. We are now clothed in the full righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are holy in the sight of God's eyes, but we are called to pursue holiness. We are called to do this. Listen to what 1 Peter 1.15 says. But as he who called you is holy, blameless, pure, You also be holy, blameless, pure in all your conduct. That's what Peter tells us. Is God is holy, we are to be holy in all our conduct, in all of our conduct. So first point, first point I wanted to look at. This is where we pursue holiness. This is where we pursue Pursue holiness. We are motivated to pursue holiness with a heart that is saturated with the word. We are motivated to pursue holiness with a heart that is saturated with the word. Listen to Psalm 119, 9 through 11 again. How can a young man keep his way pure? Here comes the thing. By guarding it according to your word. Our paths, this word guard, this path, that we guard is to keep, to keep watch over, to observe, to obey. Oh, we don't like that word obey, do we? We want everything of Jesus and all of his benefits without the obey part. Do I really have to obey? Yes, we have to obey. Why? Because this guards our path. This guards our path. This motivates us. Our, our obedience to Jesus motivates us to pursue holiness. And, and, and where is that found? It's in the word. That's where it is. It's in the word. This path is filled with obedience to the word. Listen to Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your head and they shall be as a frontless or a frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The word was to be every aspect of the Israelites' life. 
It was to control every thought, everything that happens in their minds, every action. It was to be the funnel thing. There was no compartmentalizing. Americans can compartmentalize, right? We have our religious view, and we have our political view, and we have our social view, and we have our fiscal views. But the Bible speaks nothing of that. The Bible says you take all of those views and you funnel it through the scriptures. And that's where you get your view. This was every aspect of the Israelites' life. They lived a life, not always, but they were motivated. They were, they were encouraged to live a life of obedience to the word of God. James tells it this way. In the New Testament, James 1, 21 through 25. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves, being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We are not only to be hearers, but we are to be doers of the word. We are motivated to obey Jesus. We are motivated to do what the Bible tells us to do. And, and, and notice what, what, what he says here, right? Notice what he says here. In, in, in 122, um, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Notice that it doesn't say, but look to somebody else to be the doer of the word. Right? Whenever there's a need, whenever there's a, a, a need within the church, oh, somebody else will do it. Right? Somebody else will do it. I'm already so busy. Somebody else will do it. No, no, no. Be a doer of the word. Bring glory to God. Bring glory to God in your life. Put him on display by being a doer of the word. By being a doer of the word. We also are motivated to pursue holiness with this heart that is saturated word by seeking God with all of our heart, right? And not wandering from his commandments. Psalm 119.10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments, with our whole heart. And we've, we already know what that heart is. That, that, that heart is the seat of all emotion and all desire. And he's saying that we are to, to seek God with all of our heart. Think about the one thing you seek with all of your heart. And if it's not God, it's an idol. Simple. If it's not God, it's an idol. The heart is clear from idols. When we seek him with our whole heart. Now, idols aren't something that, you know, we put up like a little Buddha doll or, or something like that be, because as Christians, we don't believe in Buddha dolls, right? And we don't believe in all these things. But we can have idols in our lives, right? We can have idols that, that dominate us like documentaries. I'm just giving you one of mine. <laughs> you know, I love documentaries and you can ask Jenny, man, I'll come home and I'll sit and I'll just watch these documentaries, Right? We can have all kinds of different idols in our life. But when we're seeking God with our whole heart and we're pursuing after Him with everything we have, this this rids our lives of the idols 
It clears, our, clears the idols. Listen to 1 Samuel 7.3. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroths from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. He's telling them, put away all your foreign gods. That's why he never wanted, when you, when you see, uh, uh, oh, who's the guy that had all the wives? Solomon. You know, Solomon had like, 700 wives and 300 concubines and God said never to do this thing because they will take you away from him. And what did they do? They did. They took him away from him. What is it, brothers and sisters, that keeps you from pursuing holiness? Think of holiness in a person. Think of Christ. What is it that keeps you away from pursuing Christ with all of your heart? Get rid of it. Because ultimately that aisle is going to fail you. But Christ will never fail you. The heart, the heart can only have one master. Can only have one master. Listen to Matthew 6.24. No one can serve two masters. Look at it. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Money can become a master. It can rule everything that we do. It can motivate everything that we do. Money can have this effect on us. But we can only have one master. I love how Jesus says this, right? He will be devoted to one and not to the other. Where is your devotion? Where is your devotion in your pursuit of Jesus? In your pursuit of holiness? We can only serve one master, Don't deceive yourself in thinking that you can have one foot in Christ and one foot in the world and live there because you can't. Jesus says you can't, not me. But the word of God says that we cannot serve these two masters. So not only is it a heart that is dominated by God, but it's a heart that has God's word stored up in it. Look at Psalm 119.11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This word stored means to hide or conceal or to store up. Some versions say, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Proverbs 2.1 puts it this way. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, We're to treasure up his commandments. His commandments are to be uh, uh, valued in our life. They are to be treasured in our lives. This is his word. It is to to have its root in our life. Colossians 3.16 puts it this way. Let the word of Christ, Christ dwell in you richly. This word dwell means to take up residence in. It's to live, it's to dwell, it's to be at home in our hearts, richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. Storing up this word in our heart, hiding this word in our heart, the psalmist tells us is to do what? So that I may not sin against you. Right? Right? I may not sin against you. I'm reminded of Joseph. 
right? Joseph with Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife is, is uh, uh, trying to seduce Joseph to lay with her, right? And Joseph says this, how can I do such a thing and sin against my God? Is that what we do? When sin and temptation comes, when maybe speaking bad about another believer or somebody within the congregation, do we sit there and do we say, how can I do such a thing and sin against my God? You see, when the word is stored up in our heart, it becomes the very ammunition we have to fight God. And I know plenty of people that have ammunition stored up. They got probably rooms like this full of ammunition because they show me it on their phones, how much they have. Is that what you have in your heart? Do you have enough ammunition built up in your heart that you fight sin right when it comes? That you know how to do it? Jesus did. Did he not? Jesus did. Listen to Matthew 4, 1 through 11. This is Jesus' temptation. Now, we've got to remember, Jesus has been 40 days and 40 nights being tempted in the wilderness. And probably all he's had is water. So he's weak. He's at his weakest moment. At his weakest moment. And this is when Satan comes after him. At his weakest moment. Brothers and sisters, Jesus will not come at you, or Satan will never come at you in your strongest moment. He will come at you in your weakest moment. When you're the weakest, when you're the most vulnerable That's when he comes and he comes at you fast and hard. And that's what he did with Jesus. Listen to what he says. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, putting doubt into his mind maybe, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him up on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, notice, it is written, Satan knows what the word says. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their heads they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you. No cross for you, Jesus. I will give them to you. You will not have to go to the cross. I will give them to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only. Only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came in ministering to him. Every temptation Jesus had, he combated with, it is written. He had the word stored up in his heart. And when he came, the tempter came, he says, it is written. Is that what we, we do when, when, the, when the tempter comes and he, he causes us to doubt? Doubt who Jesus is? Do we come back at him and say, no, Satan, it is written that Jesus is God. Or whatever it may be. Question. Do you and I pursue holiness with a heart saturated with the word? Secondly, we are motivated to pursue holiness with a life saturated with worship and humility. Look at Psalms 119, 12, and 13. 
Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. This blessed, this means to kneel down. Do we kneel down before God? Do we kneel down before his word? Do we bow down to him? Do we worship him for who he is? Listen to Exodus 34, 5 and on. The Lord descended in the clouds and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. This is who the Lord is. The Lord passed before him, this is Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. This is who God is. He's abounding in steadfast love. He is merciful. He is gracious in that we should be motivated to pursue after him because of who he is. He is altogether lovely is how Solomon puts it. Do you view God as altogether lovely? There is nothing that is more beautiful than him. This is how he wants to be worshipped. As the apple of your eye. Right? That's what he wants us to do. We're to worship God for what he has done. Think of it, creation, Genesis 1 through 2. Think of the creation. Think of salvation, Jesus, John chapter 19. It is finished. Nothing for you and I to do. It is finished. We worship God because we have a finished salvation. Glorification, Romans chapter 8. Those he predestined, he called. Those he sanctified, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. We have glory waiting us. Glory waiting us. Not glory here. Don't seek glory here, brothers and sisters. Seek the glory that is above, where it's undefiled. Moth and rust are no longer to get to it. We are to praise him for the general care that we, he has for us. Our food, our clothing, our shelter, our jobs, our retirements, our investments. Whatever you have, we are to praise him and worship him for those things. We are to be the most gracious, most thankful, most grateful people on the planet who have the most joy because of who we serve and who has died for us. Therefore, we pursue him. We go after him in his word and that's where we find him we are motivated to pursue him with humility with humility look at psalms 119 12 blessed are you O lord teach me your statutes notice the psalmist he is not arrogant he does he is not a know-it-all he doesn't think he knows everything he is not a topper he does not have the top stories. He's very humble. He's, he's, been, he's in this humble state. And he says this. He sees his need to be taught in the word. Not in documentaries. Not in documentaries. Psalms 119.33 Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. 119.66, teach me good judgment and knowledge for I believe in your commandments. Good judgment and knowledge only comes from us being saturated in the word. 
We have to be saturated in the word. We have to be the sponge that, that soaks up the water, that soaks up the word. And then when people come and they talk to us, it's like ringing us out, right? And all that comes out of us is the word of God. That's where we need to be. Psalm 119.71, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. Do we agree with that one? <laughs> it, was, it was good for me that you crushed me, that you, you destroyed me, that, that you ripped everything from me. So why? So that I may learn your statutes. Persecution is good. Hardship is good. Trials are good because they teach us God's word. They teach us where our dependency needs to be. This is what it did. Jesus, Jesus, he teaches the, the, the men on the road to Emmaus right after his resurrection. Luke 24, 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he says in there that the scriptures testify about who I am. He opens their mind. Jesus teaches them. The Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, is our teacher. John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Why do you think the apostles were able to write what they wrote? It is because the Holy Spirit brought everything back into their minds and that's how they wrote what they wrote. That's why the Word of God is the inspired Word of God because it is God, the Holy Spirit, that comes and, and brings the Word of God to these writers. Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit. John, Mark, Luke, Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They brought it back. The Holy Spirit brought it back to them. 1 John 2.27 But the anointing that you receive from him, that's the Holy Spirit, abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. Abide in that spirit. You know, we, we always have, we, we do need preachers and we do need teachers to teach us the word of God. Lord willing, it's through the Holy Spirit and not through their own means and their own knowledge, but it's through him. But it's to abide in him. You see, brothers and sisters, when we pursue holiness, when we chase after Christ, we want to abide in him. We want to remain in him. That is what John 15 is all about, right? John chapter 15 is all about abiding in him. I can do nothing without him. It is impossible for us to do things without him. We are to abide in him. We are to pursue Jesus Christ. Do you and I pursue holiness with a passion to worship God in all humility? Finally, we are motivated to pursue holiness with affections that are saturated in the word affections that are saturated in the word. Look at Psalm 119, 14 through 16. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much in, as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The word delight is to rejoice be delighted to have joy. 
The word was the psalmist's delight. It was his joy. It was more than all of his riches. Listen to Psalm 119.72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. 127, Psalm 119. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Psalm 19.10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the dripping of the honeycomb. Is that how you view God's word? God's word needs to, needs to take that kind of root in us, brothers and sisters. It has to take that kind of root in us. It has to. That it doesn't matter what my bank account looks like. I got the word of God. It doesn't matter, matter how sweet some kind of candy is to me. You guys all know I like chocolate chip cookies. It doesn't matter how sweet that is. This is sweeter. This is sweeter. This is more desirable. Brothers and sisters, do you find your Bible absolutely desirable? This is when the Holy Spirit takes root. He shows us the beauty and the majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ and we can't get enough of him. We just gotta have more and more and more of him. This is what Psalm 119 is all about. Read it. The word, the word, the testimonies, the precepts. It's all about being saturated with the word and seeing God for all that he is and all that he is for us. Job 23, 12. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Oh man, what rich words Jesus has for us. And when we delight in this word and we are saturated with this, we meditate upon the word. We think upon the word. Our minds are fixed on the word. They're fixed on the words. I watch these young kids play video games. Man, they are fixed. You cannot distract them at all. They are just, they're fixed, right? They're tunnel visioned. You can't move them. That's how we're to be. We're to be fixed on the word of God. Fixed there. We're to meditate on it. It's to, it's to be our, our, all of our thoughts. Listen to 1 Psalm 19, 48. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And finally, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul is turning our hearts to Jesus because Jesus is the only one who is honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. He's saying meditate upon Jesus. He's going right back to Psalm 119 and maybe he's thinking this, I'm not saying he is, but he's showing the word saturated in his life. And this true affection leads us to a path that we do not forget his word. We won't forget it, right? Psalm 119.83 says this, For I've become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. 119.93, I will never forget your precepts. 
By them you have given me life. And Proverbs 3.1, My son, hear God say that to you. Take it personal now. This is God talking to you. My son, my daughter, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments. Hear the gentleness, the tenderness of God as he says those words. My child, do not forget my teaching because they are life to us. They are life to us. Do you and I chase after holiness with all of our affections? To close, I'd like to encourage us in the truth that there is only one who is perfectly holy as a man, and that is Christ. Christ is the only one that perfectly fulfills this psalm and does it perfectly with no blemish. So that means when you and I, when we fail to pursue Christ with all of our hearts, may we turn to him. When you and I fail to worship him as we should with all humility, may we turn to him. And when you and I fail to chase after him with all of our affections, may we turn to him and receive the grace and mercy he so graciously has given his children. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray, or I pray, that I do justice to your word. But, Father, I am convinced that you say that as your word goes out, it will never return to you void. So, Father, may your word go out today into the hearts of your children. And may we be motivated, may we be encouraged to pursue holiness and to pursue Christ out of a heart that is obedient to you because of what Christ has done for us. Not out of a heart to be accepted, but out of a heart because we are accepted. May we find all of our joy and all of our affections in you as you so graciously have saved us. May we graciously serve you in your name. Amen. Church of God,